Happy Sabbath. Can everybody hear me? Okay. All right. I do have a PowerPoint presentation with the message today. The title of the message for today is One Foundation. It's based on a series of the church, an extension of Christ, written by E.H. Jack Sequera. How many have heard of E.H. Jack Sequera? So this is where the message is coming from. Um, and I dug up some resources for myself to share with you today to help see this message more clearly. And uh, get your Bibles ready because we will be using them quite frequently today. How many have heard of uh, a young lady by the name of Lady Huntington? Okay, it's a past history in an aristocratic society in the 18th century. I want to share a story from her point of view of what happened in her life in the British Isles. Selina was a bright and beautiful nine-year-old girl, a delightful playmate. She was always full of high spirits and interesting ideas. Her family was rich, happy, and popular. Then a shadow crossed Selina's path, a shadow that was destined to change the whole course of her life. While she was playing with her friends, a funeral procession approached. The girls stopped their play and asked one of the band of the mourners, who has died? The answer was a little girl. A little girl, cried Selina. Who is she? When told of the child's name, Selina did not recognize it. The girl was a stranger to her, but still was another child, like she was. Selina asked, how old was she? Nine, Selina's age. Breaking away from her playmate, Selina joined the cordage on its sad march to the graveyard on the hill several hundred feet away. After the casket was covered and the funeral party dispersed, Selina remained and wept over the grave. Yet she could find no peace. She was a good child as far as behavior was concerned, but was distressed by her inner emptiness and coldness, her lack of deep love. Throughout her remaining childhood, she prayed, read the Bible, and often wept for her sins and dullness of heart. But she could find no peace, no release. She went to church, but the services were frigid and formal, destitute of heavenly light or cheering hope. Selina married well, of a royal lineage herself. She became a countess through uniting with the wealthy, powerful Earl of Huntington, a man of high principle in an age when this could be said of few titled persons. The young lady Huntington, wanting to please God, devoted herself to charitable services. Many of the poor, who in that age had little public assistance, benefited from Lady Huntington's generosity. Her life was morally irreproachable. Balls, banquets, card parties, court intrigues, and the frivolous round of activities that characterized life among 18th century aristocrats held no attractions for her. Lady Huntington read her Bible and sought wholesome companions and constructive duties, but still her heart felt empty and dry because charitable deeds and upright conduct, though commendable, are not the pathway to redemption. Despondency crept over her soul like a deep chill. She took her bed and slowly washed, wasted away from the medically untreatable disease called despair. As Lady Huntington's condition worsened during the following months, it was expected that she would soon die. 
Then her sister-in-law, Margaret Hastings, came to visit her. Margaret was all aglow with a newfound experience in the love of Christ. She had recently learned the way of salvation through listening to a Methodist field preacher. Margaret's testimony was, Since I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for life and salvation, I have been as happy as an angel. The words burned into Lady Huntington's soul. She thought more and more about what it meant to trust exclusively to the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. Soon afterward, as she read one of her favorite portions of Scripture, the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, the text, Other foundation can no man lay than that is built, which is Jesus Christ. Blazed into life within her soul, she gave her heart to Christ, not as some formal transaction, but as an abandonment and devotion of love. She soon recovered her from her illness and was once more up and doing things for the Master, not now as a weary, wistful seeker of merit, but as a thankful servant and friend of her Lord and Savior, Jesus. She had found joy and peace in believing. Lady Huntington became acquainted with the Whitefield, the Wesleys, and scores of truly converted revivalists of her era, devoting her enormous wealth to the furtherance of the gospel. She built Bible schools, churches, and chapels all across the British Isles and provided for many faithful ministers whom the state care for widows, orphans, prisoners, and disabled people. But never did she suppose that her atrocious deeds constituted the ground or even the supplement of her future hopes. All her acts of kindness, which she thought little of herself, were simply the superstruction that she built upon the sure foundation of Christ and his righteousness. As her lifelong progressed, she lived more than more frugally, giving up all luxuries, including her jewels, so that she could provide for the extension of the gospel, not only throughout her native England, but to foreign lands as well. And she lived to be approximately, I believe it said, uh, 85 years old. So that's a story of someone who put their faith and their trust in Christ. Not just a church, but Christ himself. Today's message is based on that concept. One foundation, Matthew 16. We can open up our Bibles to Matthew 16 once again and look at verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. If you go back a few chapters to Matthew 12, Starting in verse 39, it says this. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is basically saying that he is going to go into the earth and die and survive. This is early in the disciples' ministry of his teaching to them. But for some reason, as they progressed, they didn't quite grasp that concept as they should have grasped it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Next. And look at verses 24 to 27. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That was from verse 24 of chapter 6. Chapter 7, verse 24 says this, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So where is our foundation built on? The rock or the sand? It's my question to you today. And you know why? Because if it's not built upon the rock, our foundation of spiritual or faith will collapse and we'll no longer have a faith to stand on. So we need to build it on that foundation, that foundational rock, Jesus Christ. If you were to build a house and you wanted to make absolutely sure that this house was earthquake-proof, what part of the building, of course, would you concentrate on the most? The foundation. We as Adventists know that during the time of trouble, the church of the last days, the days in which we are living, is to be shaken to its very foundation by the great tribulation. For the church to stand the full force of Satan's attack during this time, our foundation has to be absolutely solid. That is why in this very first study of our series of studies on the church, which according to the New Testament is an extension of Christ, we are going to begin with the foundation on which our faith is built. Our starting point is a correct understanding of our scripture reading in Matthew 16. Verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In this passage, Jesus raised the most important question. Who do people say the Son of Man, meaning himself, is? According to the disciples, the answer was varied. Some said he was John the Baptist. Some back, come back to life. Others said he was Elijah, who the Old Testament claimed would return. Again, others identified him with Jeremiah the prophet, and still others with one of the other prophets. All these answers were based on human speculations. So Jesus turns to his own disciples and asks the same question. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter's immediate answer was, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. While Jesus was pleased with this reply, he wanted to make sure that Peter did not figure out this on his own, but that the truth was revealed to him by God. This is not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. Having said this, please note what Jesus added in verse 18 and 19. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is our faith based on? Is it based on Peter, the apostle? Is it based on Moses? Is it based on Adam? It must be based on this rock. This church is to be built, and no power, human or satanic, will be able to destroy it. And that rock, of course, is Jesus. Secondly, he said that to you, referring not only to Peter, but to all who belong to his church, will be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that what is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Think about that for a moment. Being a member of the church, we have some counsel within the church, And whatever we bind in the church of believers will be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth and the church will be loosed in heaven. So God has given us some type of speculation to put trust in us to make the right and wise choices amongst our own membership, amongst our own believers, amongst the worldwide movement that Jesus has set up. The big question is, to whom was Christ referring when he used the phrase, on this rock? Was it Peter or himself? The Roman Catholic Church church insists it was Peter. The typical response we Adventists have given is that Peter was only a small movable stone, while the solid rock in which a church is to be built is Christ himself. As you can see, we have two rocks up here. One's not doing so good but the other one is doing quite well. Jesus wasn't setting up Peter as a leader of the new church because he knew that Peter would fall. And you saw that in the scriptures. He did fall. He denied Christ how many times? Three times. So how could Christ base his leadership on someone who fell three times? There has to be something stronger and better than that. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. 
A stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That comes from 1 Peter 2, 7-8. While both these are valid answers, we must keep in mind that the Greek word for Peter is Petros. While the word for Christ used for the rock was Petra. This is interesting. Petros is masculine, while Petra is feminine. So think about it. Therefore, Petra, which is feminine, does not mean rock. It cannot refer to either Peter or Christ, since neither of them are feminine. So who then do you think it refers to? The church. It refers to the church because the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, correct? Who then was Christ referring to by on this rock? The only valid answer is that the rock or Petra must refer to Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is on this confession, Jesus said, that he would build his church and which the gates of hell will not overcome it. It is the same confession that gives the church the right to accept or reject individuals into the church by baptism. And we're all familiar with the story of the Ethiopian Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Look at verses 34 to 38. Acts 8, 34 to 38. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Therefore, the foundation on which the church is to be built is this confession, that Christ, the Son of God, is its Savior, its Lord and Master, and its only hope of salvation. It is on this rock God's people are to build their house, and none of the forces of evil will be able to shake this foundation. Thinking about that, let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verses starting in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of this death, we shall be also in the likeness of this resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. 
For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then go back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If you go up to verse 23, we were talking about Peter denying Christ three times, and Peter cannot be the church, cannot be the head of the church, because even at this time, in this chapter of 16 in Matthew, it said, this is what Jesus said, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So that's another indication of Christ saying that he can't build the church on someone such as Peter because that we are apt to be influenced by the devil. Only Christ was the one who overcame the devil, who was not influenced by his ways of uh, deception. So Peter cannot be the head of the church in that respect because he's only a human being. Jesus is the one who overcame the devil in the wilderness. So he has the right to claim as the foundation of our faith, not Peter. However, this confession, to be unshakable and indestructible, has to be based on the full truth as it is in Christ. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This brings us to the real problem. In the days of the New Testament, the big question, especially in Judaism, was, is this man who calls himself Jesus Christ really the Messiah as he claims to be? While this may still be the question the non-Christians are asking today, the real question that Christians are to ask is, which of the many Christs that are being proclaimed today within Christendom is the true Christ? Remember, Jesus gave a warning about there will be false Christs coming before the end of time. What is the true Christ? How can we understand who the true Christ is? 
In our allegiance or confession to the false Christ, no matter how honest or sincere that confession may be, it will not be enough to stand the storms of life. Our foundation is only solid and unshakable if our confession of faith is to the true Christ. Today, the liberals are preaching one Christ, while the conservatives are preaching another. The Calvinists are preaching a Christ who saved only some on the cross, while the Arminians are preaching a Christ that actually saved no one on the cross, but only made salvation available to mankind. Some in our midst are preaching a Christ whose human nature was spiritually like Adam before the fall, while others are preaching a Christ whose human nature was exactly like ours. Again, some are preaching a Christ who came to be our example, so that by following his example, we can be saved, while others claim that Christ came to be the Savior of mankind, and by his life and death, actually reconciled the whole world to God. We can go on and on, but whatever Christ we confess, one thing is clear, our confession will be tested by fire. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 13. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, this work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. All Christians confess that Christ has saved them from sin. However, some are limiting this salvation only from the guilt and punishment of sin, our egocentric concerns. But the Christ of the New Testament is a Christ that saved us from every aspect of sin, its guilt and punishment, its power and slavery, as well as its very nature. In Romans 7, sin is defined as a law or constant force that has us in its grip. But in chapter 8, we are told that Christ has set up us free from the power so that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us, who, like Christ, walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 2-4 Because through Christ the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. You can see why it's important to have a baptism when you come into the church, because it's a proclamation, a public proclamation to say, hey, I accept Jesus Christ, and I believe that he has taken away my sins, and I want to be a part of his family from this point on. And I want to repent from my sins and turn from evil and not let evil reign in my life anymore. That is basically what the public statement is when you are baptized by immersion. You're proclaiming to a public that you are following a a different life, a different way of living, a different way of thinking. And that your sins are forgiven and cleansed by Jesus Christ, which is the foundation or structure or the cornerstone of your faith. Philippians 3, 20-21, 20 
Philippians 3, 20 and 21, we are told that Christ will one day redeem us from the very nature of sin. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. All this leads us to a very important conclusion, that all Christian experience, when it comes to this matter of salvation, must be based on the finished work of Christ. This is the foundation which the church must confess and which the gates of hell cannot overcome. The peace we have in justification by faith is because we confess that in Christ we stand complete or perfect. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10, And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Sanctification is within our reach because we confess that in Christ we are already sanctified. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Finally, we believe that this mortal will put on immortality and this corruption will put on incorruption in glorification because our redemption in Christ was full and complete and we are sealing our fate in the heavenly places with Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15, 51-54 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe himself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 is our last scripture for the day. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So the question is, once again, what is your faith based on? Is it based on the church doctrines only? Is it based on the Sabbath, the day of rest only? Is it based on anything other than Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone of your life? You may be headed up the wrong way. But our faith must be based on Him and what He has done. We must understand Christ thoroughly and not just become a part of a church body of believers. But we must understand what that entitles. It is a privilege. It is Christ's royal bride. And we're a part of the group, a part of that royal bride. We are the 
bridesmaids. Are we not? And the men are, what do they call the men's part when they have a marriage? The grooms. Bridegrooms. We are all part of that. But of course, Jesus is the groom. And of course, his church, what he has died for, is the bride. And we are all part of that. You say amen? Our closing hymn, number 348. Sorry, 612. 348 was the first one. 612. And this is something to reflect on. We're all Christian soldiers. Do you have your breastplate of righteousness through Christ? Do you have the belt of truth through Christ? Do you have the shield of faith through Christ? Do you have the helmet of salvation through Christ? Do you have the sword of the Spirit through Christ? And is your feet prepared with the gospel proclamation through the help of Jesus Christ. The Acts of the Apostles, page 9, says this, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. Amen.